Hello and welcome to Not For Girls, a podcast by two women fighting gender stereotypes, talking about life, fears and phobias, and everything in between. My name's Nikki. Hello, I'm Leah. And we're here to discuss a very interesting topic today, a very appropriate topic for the season that we're in, which is fears and phobias. Yes, not a case files episode, but kind of topical nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm really interested to talk about this with you, actually, because I, I don't think in terms of like all the rambling conversations and stuff that we have, I don't think we've ever really talked about like what gives you mortal fear you know so like (laughs) we might learn stuff about each other here which will be fun yeah it's a really interesting topic because I don't think that anyone there's anyone out there really that doesn't have some kind of fear or phobia of something like I think everybody has some things that just give them the the heebie-jeebies or just terrify (laughs) them to their core 100% it's just a case of on what scale of like neurotic (laughs) do we fall um so yeah I'm probably going to reveal too much about myself and uh, come across as a as a proper um scaredy cat this week but that's fine (laughs) it's it's the month to be scared it's okay I mean if anything you're just giving people ammunition to to freak you out now if they ever see you (laughs) Oh God, I'm going to, I'm going to get sent so many like horrible, you know, memes, videos, like uh, posts and stuff um, of things that will deliberately scare me. And by people, um, I mean, I mean me. Yes. I'm going to turn up at your door in some sort of costume of whatever it is you're afraid of, whether that be clowns, spiders. No, I'm not really. That'd be really mean. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, there's, there'll probably be plenty of fancy dress shops around. I, I think it'd be difficult to, you know, have like a party and stuff, but people might still dress up. You never know. Halloween's a time where people kind of let their inner child out. So it's <laughs> true. still do some pranks or something. How are you doing this week otherwise? I'm good. Yes. It's very cold now. We're mm-hmm. in like the height of winter, but I'm here for it because the sooner that 2020 is over, the better. How are you doing? Yeah, likewise, really. Um, it's It's been like so stormy. So I feel really like cozy and like ready to yeah. properly like do a deep dive into this. It's going to be so fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Okay, so shall we kick it off just by kind of talking a little bit about fears and phobias as a whole? I kind of wanted to start this off by saying that technically they're two different things. We're not going into science section early, don't worry. I just wanted to like distinguish. So Apparently, a fear is an emotional response to a real or perceived threat or a particular thing that just makes you feel uncomfortable. Whereas a phobia is similar to a fear, but with one key difference. And that's that the experience is so strong that it interferes with quality of life or ability to function. So I think it's quite interesting to look at the the difference between the two, because that definitely helped me realise what mine what mine was. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think that's a really good point. Uh, another thing was that I thought phobias are quite often irrational, yes. whereas a fear, exactly like you said in your definition, is about a real or perceived threat. And that's a really key thing, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, if somebody is like running towards you brandishing a weapon, you can't really define that as a phobia because that's a very real situation that could very conceivably yeah. cause you harm. But you may then get a phobia of, of like 
I don't know, a particular thing after that moment because of that experience of maybe the guy was wearing a pink jumper. And so therefore in the future, you're going to be fucking terrified of pink jumpers. And that could be then become a phobia because it's affecting your life from that experience. So it's it's actually quite complex in the way that it works because you could obviously be fearful of, of anything. You could be fearful of like a creepy guy at your door, which is totally normal. But then it could proceed into something else, which becomes a greater fear and then affects your life. So it's really, really interesting how it sort of cascades. Wow. So I wonder if phobias are kind of more of almost a like trauma response then, because they're learned fears, right? So it's, yeah, we could develop a phobia like mm. irrationally out of one aspect of a real fear that kind of then just stays with us. Yeah, I think you can also get, you can get irrational phobias, but I think generally a lot of the time it can come from a bad experience, I think. I think you can get fear and irrational phobia about mm. anything from what I've sort of like found and researched, but I think it's rarer because it would be like if I suddenly developed a really weird irrational fear of like socks. <laughs> right. Like it can happen. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't need a trigger to make it happen, which, Yeah. Luckily, I'm not afraid of socks because otherwise my feet would be very cold. Yeah, you just have to wear slippers constantly. Yeah. Slippers straight into shoes and then straight back into slippers again. <laughs> oh, I'm glad that's not my life. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I guess we could go into talking about our own fears and phobias. Yeah, sure. Do you want to go first? Okay, we'll start with fears because I think it's good okay. to, to like split them up. So I actually wrote down a few. Okay. Um, I think I have quite general, quite predictable fears. I think, you know, I, I think I would say that I have quite a big fear of death. Mm. But I think most people have a fear of death to some extent because nobody wants to die, really. Um, mm. And like, it's it's not just a fear of like my own death. It's like death in general. Like I get quite, I feel like I get quite bad at like anxious, anxious anxiety, things like that about about it as a whole and sometimes like I have those like evenings I don't know if you ever have it where you like can't sleep and you see you're up at night and you're sort of just like staring at the ceiling and then suddenly just start completing your own death your own existence and it's just... oh I'm sure we've all been there yeah, <laughs> yeah it happens <laughs> and I hate it I just suddenly become very aware that I'm existing and that I'm alive and that I might not be soon and I just I get into this existential crisis um right. so that's something I also would say that I have a fear of ghosts and okay. the paranormal i i'm i get very creeped out about ghosts and stuff but it's not a fear that like cripples me it's just sometimes if i'm in an old house and i've got to sleep there like i want to cry right Is, does that happen to you often <laughs> sometimes yeah i mean like it wasn't that long ago that i was going to my brother's wedding and i had to stay in this really old uh house in yorkshire and oh. it was very old my dad my dad got it on fucking booking.com and i was so mad because it was so creepy it had it had 25 clocks in it really old clocks everywhere i don't know it was it was honestly horrendous and i had who ran the b&b was it captain hook <laughs> well it wasn't a b&b it was it was someone's house like they just it oh. was like airbnb or whatever it's called right yeah and i guess I it was see. it was beautiful in its own way but i knew i did not want to sleep there and i didn't really sleep much to be honest because I was just up at night just shitting myself because it was very scary. Was it haunted? Did you like encounter any ghosts or were you just afraid that, that there could be ghosts? So I, I did experience something weird and it may just sound really, really silly, but it had really old stairs and they did creak and they were creepy old stairs. So when I was going up at the first time, there was like a, a growl 
when I was walking up and I, I sort of said to my partner, partner, I was like, did you hear that? And he was like, yeah, but it's probably just the flaws. But it kept happening at different points. And it wasn't even like, we couldn't recreate this growl sound that would happen as you were like walking around sometimes. It sounded really disconnected, like a dog like noise but there was no dog around anywhere it was really horrible and that was my that was my only experience and I never want to go back there again and it just makes me feel uncomfortable even just thinking about it so yeah oh. and I've, I've had it a lot I feel like I'm quite sensitive to like houses and things mm. so that's definitely where like the fear comes in I think just feeling like I'm there's something there it just yeah not cool mm, I see okay so ghosts that's a fear yeah. um this this teeters on the line of phobia but it's not uh, wasps. I got attacked by by wasps once in in the rainforest, and uh, ever since then, oh. it's not only the fact that they can sting you and that the stings hurt. It's that they are bastards and they want to sting you. <laughs> yeah, I hate them. I hate them. They can just go. They can just go away. Yeah, I got chased by a swarm, and like they ch- they actually chase you. And I think that's what got me at that point. I was like, do you know what? Like they're working as a team. Like they're talking to each other. It's not okay. And like my face was like attacked and stuff. And I was fine, luckily. Oh, oh my God, no. luckily I'm not allergic. But to be honest, I didn't really know. We're in the middle of the jungle, about six hours away from hospital. I got stung to the face. Everyone kind of looked at me and we were like, they were like, are you, have you been stung before? And I was like, yeah, I think so. I can't remember, maybe by like a bee. And we were like, okay. And we kind of just had to sit there and kind of just wait to see if I had an allergic reaction. I know that's so bad, isn't it? Well, but also like think about, you know, in different countries, there are different creatures that can cause different reactions in you. So like, you know, you never know how bad like a bug is. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is always the thing that I see on like nature documentaries, travel documentaries, where they're like, oh, you see this little guy? Yeah, he'll kill you. Yeah. And they're like, it's a tiny little bug and you don't know it and it just looks completely harmless, but like you just don't know. And I think that like taps it onto like fear of the unknown a little bit as well. But like specifically that like in the insect world, it's a case of just being like, oh God, what um, what am I like letting myself in for here? Like what's going to happen to me? Does this Is, is this venomous? Like what, am I going to die? What? Yeah. So fuck wasps. Uh, sure. Next on the list. Sorry, I've got a long list. That's okay. Next on the list is public speaking, mm-hmm. which I assume you probably have as well. I think most will have a fear of public speaking. A lot of people do. So I, I do as well. You know this. And yeah, I've, I've done like research into this to try and do everything that I can. Literally, I have tried so many things to overcome this fear. And there's so much information and stuff out there. And it's said that like a third of people would genuinely rather be dead and speak in public oh my god like they fear yeah. death less than like i don't know giving a toast at a wedding or something but i would mm. give a toast at a wedding after i'd had some of the drinks <laughs> i was gonna say i did i did the i did a best man speech at my brother's wedding and yeah. um i was i was so drunk and it made everything great and the first couple of laughs that i started getting i was like well well, this is fantastic. Maybe I should become a comedian. I should take up stand-up <laughs> comedy. But no, it's just because everyone else is drunk. I'm drunk. They're drunk. We're yeah. happy. It's a wedding. But no, um, yeah, it, it sucks. Like it's, public speaking is horrendous, and especially horrendous in a setting where you're not drunk. So, like mm. doing things at uni, I really struggled with standing in front of the class, having to to talk with all these fucking faces in front of me. I remember once I did I did a public speaking lecture in front of like thirty people once. And I was so nervous, and I'm not very good at public speaking, as you're about to find out. I wasn't breathing in between my words. Like, and that sounds silly, because you'd be like, well, what do you mean? Like, 
breathing you don't even think about it i was speaking so fast because i was so nervous that i didn't even take a breath i nearly passed out like genuinely i suffocated that doesn't that doesn't sound stupid to me like i completely identify with how you feel like i I don't know how to explain it to people who don't have a fear of public speaking but it's like i lose control of my body and then most normal things the most normal things in the world like standing up yeah breathing um swallowing i just forget how to do them i know i know what you mean when you say that but in my mind when you said you lose control of your body i just sort of pictured you like dancing (laughs) <laughs> just freaking out interpretive dance like <laughs> this is the presentation <laughs> instead of graphs get your information from these sick moves <laughs> i would go to that lecture or try that next speech. time i will yes just start dancing <laughs> uncontrollably yeah i mean it would negate having to speak publicly that's for sure <laughs> might not be such a successful presentation <laughs> it may create more fear in the long run and more phobias of public speaking because you just have people laughing at you while you did some weird sick well sorry not mm. weird sick moves yeah they'd be great I-, I don't know if you've ever seen me dance but you're in for a treat <laughs> so my other fear is a weird one which i'm not really gonna elaborate much on it's just feet okay don't like feet. I think I know that about you. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It's, I have no real like, story behind it. I just think feet are disgusting. Um, and my last and final fear, and it's the only animal in the animal kingdom that I truly despise, which says a lot because I tend to like all animals, which is eels. Oh. Uh, I hate them. They're horrible. <laughs> There's nothing good about them. They just, it's the way they move. It's their faces. I don't know if you've ever seen an eel at the aquarium, but for one, they look really angry all the time. They have these like jaws and mouthpieces and teeth. And I think actually this one does have a background. It stems from when I was once swimming. I think I was in like Turkey Mm. and I was in quite open water to an extent, but I was also near like this, this rock outcrop. And I was uh, snorkeling, I was having a good old time. I was looking at all like the rock face and it was all really nice. And there was lots of little fishies and everything. And mm-hmm. um, and I see this hole and out of this hole, I just see this ginormous eel face just slowly like coming out of this hole towards me. And the water was pushing me into the out, into like the rock outcrop because obviously that's what water does. It pushes you. Right. And I couldn't get away. And I was like, tr- I mean, I got away obviously because I'm fine, but... <laughs> It was uh, it was like the most. It was like a horror movie, honestly, at that point. So that's why I don't like eels. That sounds pretty scary, and I never liked them in The Little Mermaid. You know, Ursula's like cronies, um, and they have kind of an underbite where all of their fangs like point up, which makes them look angry but menacing. At the they same remind time. me of Alien as well, mm. like that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, for a natural creature, they look very unnatural. <laughs> Which is slightly disconcerting. If I had a choice to to get rid of anything out of the animal kingdom in this world, it would be be mosquitoes and also eels. Okay, yeah, I I can I can see that. I don't have a problem with you getting rid of those species. So let's let's start our campaign to destroy them. Cool. So yeah, that sums up for my fears. We'll get onto phobias in a bit, but what are your fears? Um. Okay. So I. How long have we got? Uh, good time um it's sort of everything um <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if this is like um 
a creative thing or a writer thing but I have a really active imagination and I realized this very recently we're in the month of October now and we're actually recording this funnily enough on the day that we do the 24-hour stream which I'm sure some of you will have seen on on Instagram and Twitter and stuff Um, and we're doing all spooky games and everyone else is playing stuff and they're not really getting scared by it they're like yeah this is fine I'm scared of everything like everything that every every game has in it genuinely terrifies me to the point where last night after after watching uh the maid of scur stream i actually had a nightmare about um i had to have an exorcism because i was possessed (laughs) oh no right (laughs) like my brain is not my friend when i watch horror when i play anything horror like everything goes into my subconscious and then it gets warped by like the horrible evil parts of my own psyche that are like let's explore these fears more and bring them into your conscious mind while you sleep um and i just i have really really bad nightmares (laughs) so um yeah i i'm a proper fraidy cat i think um everybody else seems like way tougher and not scared of stuff like i know zombies or ghosts or um like hauntings and stuff but i all of it i'm scared of all of it (laughs) (laughs) there must be a few little things though that stick out of your mind it's like really really scary I think there are a few things that I've been able to pin down that are real world fears as opposed to kind of paranormal horror tropes. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think one of one of my biggest fears is old age and ill health. Um, and I think in general, that kind of like tugging on that a little bit deeper, it comes to back to being afraid of like not having control over something or not being able to control something bad uh because i I think this also is the same kind of root cause of the public speaking thing because like you know this about me and i think that most of my fears are like social or like socially learned Mm -hmm. yeah so it's things like fear of failure or fear of ridicule um yeah social pressure to like be a people pleaser but to not be able to and to not control like a bad situation from happening um that affects me or somebody else in a harmful way so i i think when i kind of when i say old age or ill health or public speaking when i kind of tug a little bit deeper i i think what it really is is that i i can't control or prevent harm being done to like myself or other people whether it's psychological harm whether it's physical harm whether it's emotional harm I think that that's like a very human thing that a lot of people can probably relate to and whatever thing that your fears whatever whatever form your fears take be it clowns be it spiders uh you know whatever it's almost this idea that that will hurt me and there's nothing I can do to stop it um, yeah it's that loss of control mm, isn't it as well like yeah. I definitely feel that I, I'd hate to not be in control of my own environment and yeah. actually that is yeah I guess you can really go deep into this because that's probably something that I do have because I'm a little bit of a control freak yeah um, so I, I definitely resonate with that for sure yeah I mean it's funny like with the public speaking thing I was thinking about this because this this uh this past week has been my the first week of me doing my MA and even like introducing myself on video speaking up in class I get so nervous like 
I have to like light a scented candle so I can calm down. I write like little mantras on my paper, on my uh, notepad so that like I can control, like I'll write like just breathe or something <laughs> and it will just help me like not freak out in the moment. But like it's this social pressure to perform something and feel like I'm not able to, um, which is really hard to overcome. And I, I feel like streaming and, and podcasting help that. Um, but it's, yeah it's it's a really tough one isn't it because in the moment it's just this thing of like everybody's looking at you you can see them looking at you on the video and <laughs> that you know it's almost this imposter syndrome thing too where you're like they all know what they're doing and they all have really good ideas and I'm just here like you know uh, well, what do I have to say <laughs> yeah so. I completely I completely like sympathize with that like I you're right about podcast and streaming helping like I think podcasting for me is helped me have the confidence to speak as ridiculous as that sounds and try and like slow down when I speak and think about it and and really just it helped me with my with my um best man speech for sure mm. streaming is oh it's a whole other kettle of fish that still terrifies me but I still have issues if I'm if I have a guest on a podcast or if I'm a guest on a podcast yeah I if I don't know someone, this is why me and, me and Steph, because we generally have had quite a few guests on in the past on our podcast and we do have ideas for having more on. And we know mm. people that would probably come on. But I really struggle to speak to people that I don't know and I don't know how they're going to react to what I say or how... I know it sounds really serious. It's, it's that fear of the unknown. Mm. And so I'm really great when I talk to people that I'm comfortable with and that I'm friends with and I can have a... Com you know, I know I can have a conversation yeah, with. Yeah, you can always articulate your point really well. But if there's anyone there that I'm that I'm not... I don't know that well, I am so bad at communicating because I get worried about what I'm going to say. Yeah, I it flusters you. I think about it too much. And I'm really socially awkward in that regard. And mm. I, I like to think that I don't sound socially awkward right now. But unless I'm comfortable. So that's, I think, why I do struggle with that kind of thing. But mm. yeah, I, I think it's quite a normal issue. I think a lot of people get quite freaked out. But most of them don't run podcasts. So... <laughs> Very true. I, I think I, I was I was wondering whether this was like a writery thing because I was like, you know, m my words will normally come in print form. OK, so I can think about them. I can select very carefully the exact right words that I want to say to convey a certain thing. And then that is my sweet spot. But clearly, like, this is a much more human thing than just that. And actually, that social pressure is something that a lot of us have. And um, I, I guess, you know, it can just be categorized as kind of general social anxiety, uh, yeah. which I think a lot of people can relate to. But um, my my sort of curiosity is whether it's amped up a bit since um, since the lockdown and since people are communicating a lot more via Skype because it feels like every conversation is now a presentation and every time yeah. I'm talking to somebody like on a video call I have to be careful about how I look, careful about how I sound, careful about the content of the specific words that I say and there's so much more to think about uh, which makes me feel like I could be judged in that moment and even if somebody does judge you you know even if you're chatting to somebody on Skype and you say something a bit silly and someone for 30 seconds of their life thinks what a dickhead how is that even doing you harm like they're just going to carry on with their life you're going to carry on with yours but in that moment it feels so scary and I, I it's that is irrational I think because I, I just I don't understand why it doesn't matter there's no 
real consequence of somebody thinking you're a dickhead for a couple of minutes. But see, I think it goes all the way back to when we were talking about, I can't remember what episode it was, maybe it was friendship and how we respond because in our minds, if someone rejects us or doesn't think that we're like going to be a good part of the group, we then in in a in our inner working mind think that we're going to be chucked out of the cave and left to mm. fend for ourselves. So I think that whole needing to be verified is is a part of that. That's why I think it's such an important thing because we are such social creatures. We need that. Uh, we don't quite aren't able to always realise that it doesn't matter if this group of people don't like us or mm. we haven't presented ourselves very well because we're not in caves. You know, we can go about our day afterwards and everything's going to be fine. It's going to make no difference to you. But I think our inner working on our brain still thinks that we're, like, unsafe in that regard. Yeah, that's a very good point. A very good point. Um, so it's, uh, I do remember that, that episode and it was friendship. And, yeah, I, I remember you saying that it is a natural response to, to feeling like yeah you'll have to fend for yourself and you know you'll you'll be like left out of the cave to just go die in the cold Um, so yeah maybe I should add that mantra to my notebook for the next time (laughs) I have to speak up in class to be like I won't I won't be put out of the cave (laughs) yeah um so yeah is there there anything else that you think you have fear-wise that sticks out um I don't think so I think everything kind of covered it okay so did you want to touch a little bit on phobias? I don't know if you have any phobias. Obviously, phobias is a thing which is a little bit more intense. It could affect your way of life. Um, I'll say mine. So there's only one that I would say I classify as a phobia, which is I do have claustrophobia. Right, and, okay. Which is a um, fear that's basically of tight or crowded spaces, often irrational, and can be triggered by things like being locked in a windowless room, being in a crowded elevator, driving on like a busy highway... Or, I don't know, just feeling like there's too many people around you and you can't get out. Um, This is something that I only realised that I had a little bit later in life from just, like, a couple of events. And uh, I think I... It's really... This is a really weird story, right? This is going to sound very bizarre. But with with an ex-partner... Um, I think we were just like play fighting. It wasn't weird, I promise. And um, and I think like he did this thing where I don't know if this ever happened to you, but like someone kind of like puts you in a duvet and like covers it up so you can't like get out. Like it's only like a little sort of joking thing where you're sort of under the duvet, but then they sort of block it off. I don't know. It sounds like a really weird thing. Um, it's I know that it's called a Dutch oven where your partner like craps your head under it's the duvet. It's not that. There was no farting involved. No farting. But it was more just like, uh, I think I was probably being weird under the duvet and then he was like, ha And then I was right. trapped. And then at that point, I literally had a fucking panic attack and a breakdown. Mm. And I think he thought I was joking by the way I responded. But I genuinely was like, I've never experienced that where I feel like I was going to mm. die. And then it happened a few more times where I was in like tight spaces, like an elevator and not being able to feel like I can get out. It got exceedingly bad when I was at university where the lecture halls were, were massive. They were ginormous rooms. But then the people that I were with, they'd be like, oh, let's go like sit right in the middle um, of the of like the, the chairs. And there was like three blocks. But then when you're if you're in the center, you've probably got about uh almost like 15 seats either side of you so once you're in there once you're sat in the middle of these seats and everyone else is filled in you cannot get out easily if you want to go to the toilet if you need to leave you've probably got to climb over like 10 people and everyone will see Mm. you leaving so i and i i did that and i didn't realize until i was there and suddenly i would have these panic attacks and so obviously once i figured it out and i realized what was wrong i i always sat 
near the door i always sat so i had an escape route so every time i'm in like a room i always need to make sure i have an escape route if not i can end up getting really bad panic attacks just from feeling like i'm enclosed Mm. and yeah i get it from other things too just just that sort of fear of not being able to escape and just fear of being in these tight confined spaces not a fan but yeah that that's it really that's my only phobia i'd say i mean i think that's a pretty fair one i think being trapped would probably speak to some you know survival instinct as well mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah that's that's very fair i i think what's funny is that it manifests not funny but what's i guess unusual interesting is that it manifests in situations where really we sh- we should feel safe you know a lecture uh is is a safe situation it's it's non-threatening you know you're sitting down and uh you're just a person and sometimes our, our, as people our bladders get full <laughs> and we have to just go excuse ourselves and go to the toilet but like it's it's the fact that that fear manifests there and some part yeah. of our, our brains is telling us you know um i need to be able to get out of this situation if i if i if i have to uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, that that just that really interests me. Um, I, I wonder if like phobia is a kind of just real fear being displaced and just coming out in a in a slightly different but related context. I don't know. I'd say yeah. so. Oh, yeah, okay. oh, I'd well, say okay, so. Me, I had a correct thought. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a phobia? I don't know. I don't, I, I was racking my brains trying to think. Um, I love storms. My my mum's terrified of, of thunder and lightning. I love thunder and lightning. Um, I'm not a fan of heights. Uh, I'm fine with it though. I can mm-hmm. go up into like you know a sky lounge or like uh, London Eye or whatever. I did London Eye, and I can go go up. To okay. high places. Maybe that maybe that is more of a fear then, because I guess fear of heights. I think like people just does not go well. For yeah, them. I mean, I don't love it, and, I, and the idea of falling off isn't great. But you know, I I just I think okay, I just won't fall off. Which I know I'm clumsy, but like. <laughs> I can manage to not yeet myself off the top of, you know, the Eiffel Tower or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I'm, I don't love spiders, but I can deal with them. I, I, they're creepy, but I'm not, like, I don't have a phobia of them to the point where I can't, uh, the, the definition you gave at the beginning was about the, that it impacts your life and stuff, right? And you can't, yeah. you can't actually deal with it as a problem. I don't like them, but I can, I can deal with them. Um, so I don't know if I have a phobia in that sense. Uh, I, I think I, I, I don't I still don't know whether public speaking is a fear or a phobia because a part of me thinks it is a slightly an irrational fear. And I, I didn't always used to have it as well as the interesting thing. So at some point, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know when, but I just obviously something happened in a social situation <laughs> and since then I've just yeah. been like neurotic about saying or doing something wrong and that and then there's just this like low level anxiety most of the time when I'm in social situations <laughs> so I think that's why I was like mm, yeah everything ghosts monsters people mm-hmm. situations life <laughs> all of it <laughs> I've just been trying to think of a way that I could dress up as public speaking to scare you so I don't think it's going to work I'm just gonna come. I'm just gonna come to, to like your house because I said I was gonna come with something to, to freak you out, <laughs> just with a big board that just says public speaking. I mean, you <laughs> see, could see if it's you could come you. dressed as a massive crowd of people, and then when I spoke to you, I could. Like you just have to have like I don't know, uh, like just a costume with loads of like people's faces on it or something. 
I'm not sure it's it would terrifying, be weird. In it would be. You'd be like an amorphous blob of humanity, <laughs> just dressed in. You just have to come either dressed as death, ghosts, wasps, or, or feet. Well, or an I eel. mean that's true. I've given you quite a lot as well. So I'll come as an eel, and you can come as like <laughs> yeah, a ghost or a monster or a vampire or something or a zombie. You know, I'm terrified okay. of zombies. Oh yeah, yeah. that would work. I'll, I'll come as a so i had a look at some um some surveys online to see what the most common fears mm. are for people and i didn't know if you wanted to know, I would what, love they to were. know what they are so apparently the most common fears are demons and ghosts mm. the existence of evil powers which is really weird and specific cockroaches right. spiders which is fair snakes heights Tripophobia, which, if I'm thinking correctly, Fear is the, the tripe. Well, there's lots of holes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> tripe. No, I think tripophobia is the holes. You know, when people don't like seeing holes and things. Oh, okay. You know, you must you must I've know never that heard one. Of it, ever. Oh, okay. I'll send you some pictures later and see if you get freaked okay. out by it. Uh, water, right. enclosed spaces, which I guess is like claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. Tunnels, bridges. Okay, needles. I'm not mocking anyone's fears. I'm just anyway social rejection which is i mean yeah that's a legit one that i think we've probably addressed failure examinations and public speaking yeah so so do you get it in like interviews and stuff as well because i know that that's like normal anxiety but i feel like that relates to public speaking as well like if in interviews where you have to give a presentation as well that's like way worse than just an interview where i have to answer questions Mm. I um I I tend to just assume that I'm that this is all normal for me to feel like that when I go into interviews, mm. public speaking, or anything socially because I have quite generalized I have generalized anxiety anyway, and I have social anxiety. So any situation that is scary with new people or an interview or any kind of exam, like I'm shitting myself. Like I don't know what it's like to not feel like the mm. way I do in that situation. So for me, that's just a constant. <laughs> I'm always going to no, be same. scared same. and freaked I, out. You know, I, th- I wonder how many other people like can relate to this. I, I know that those are stressful social situations anyway, but yeah, the idea that you know it's 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 the manifestation of it where like you know my palms are sweaty mum's spaghetti like you know I can't breathe my voice is tremoring um I you know I'm like slightly shaking in my hands um and yeah stuttering stumbling over my words all of it you know not in my stomach jelly knees I can't breathe (laughs) that's just like (laughs) oh this again yeah sure (laughs) yeah you get used to it Um, So I guess one thing that I've been thinking about as well is how fear might be different um, for for different genders. So, I mean, looking at the the binary genders initially, like men and and women, uh, I remember there's a a Margaret Atwood uh, quote that really stuck in my head uh, where she says, she she basically spoke to uh, a class that she was giving and like gauged their responses to this uh, when she asked a question about what are they afraid of and the the conclusion that she drew was basically that men are afraid women will laugh at them women are afraid that men will kill them so quite different Mm. um you know fears there obviously um but I wonder if I, I just wonder if you know there's we think that that that's true or you know if there's more to that um I don't know what are your thoughts I think that it does stem back to Cave James's time, I think, with this kind of thing, because the f- the ingrained fear will stem from different stimuli, mm-hmm. almost. And 
I think the whole like men are afraid that women will laugh at them, I think comes from men not like succeeding in having children or being successful in relationships and things like that because that would have been what was deemed as like masculine having to mate having to pass on his you know genetic yeah so that pride aspect i guess i i do kind of agree with that the whole women are afraid that men will kill them yeah i think that's appropriate i think especially if we look at things like uh you know like in this day and age i don't feel safe walking down the street at night at 1am because i genuinely have fear that i'm either going to be like kidnapped or like raped or something or murdered you know like that's a big thing i think especially in our society in our generation now how much that happens in the world and it's terrifying and you know i i grew up always feeling quite fearful and my dad you know wanted me to have that fear because he never wanted me to put myself in a dangerous situation and maybe that that kind of affected me a little bit as i got older because i was quite fearful mm. of the world but i think it's better to have that fear and not you know not walk down a dark alleyway at night does that make it okay no but i do think that quote is actually quite appropriate in a binary sense yeah. obviously um but it did want me to i did want to bring up I did look at some scientific journals that apparently indicate that women do actually report greater fear and are more likely to develop anxiety disorders than wow. men. And it apparently it's, it's thought to be due to like their vulnerability. And there'll obviously be other factors involved, like biological influences, stress, trauma, and, and environmental things. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know the validity of the study, but generally, apparently, it's greater. But then that does make me think maybe... It's just more because women report it more than men. I mean, that could be that could be a real a real factor. You know, I, I wonder how. Uh, and I haven't done any research into this as of yet, but this is something I, I've become really interested in. But I wonder how, in general terms, how men f- feel about being able to show fear, and I wonder if that that's something that socially they're almost discouraged from doing i mean oh, even course, just yeah. taking and um you know i'm i'm gonna have to to mention our, our friends at real life ghost stories again but uh the, they they have this running joke on their podcast now that uh every time they get a submission from a from a guy or not every time but very frequently he's like i'm six four and like you know 180 pounds so i don't scare easy you know it's almost like having to qualify that i'm tough and i'm a man so it's not just the fact that i'm vulnerable that that means i'm scared like this was a legit reason to be scared um so it is having to qualify your masculinity before you acknowledge that there's a real uh reason to be afraid which really seems to speak to like a uh almost toxic masculinity um because yeah men should be allowed to feel scared they should be allowed to feel sad they should be allowed to feel vulnerable um physically emotionally psychologically like we're human beings we all have that it doesn't matter if you're male female non-binary gender fluid and it's like if me or a guy like next door who's like six foot muscly man both saw a ghost we should both feel that exact same fear it shouldn't matter that he's fucking six when he's got muscles because you can't punch a ghost yes we all know from ghostbusters that they are non-corporeal <laughs> and your hand will just go straight through them so your muscles do not matter <laughs> in all seriousness like the stereotype of not being able to be afraid or the fact that you shouldn't be afraid because either you're male or your appearance or something like that mm. is utterly it is utterly ridiculous and it's very toxic because not only does it affect things like that but it affects men being able to talk about things like anxiety or fear or you know 
even just things like depression about how they feel yeah because of the fact that they're worried how they'll be perceived because of this sort of stereotype that's been ingrained in them that you're not allowed to to feel or or have issues like that because you won't be as masculine yeah it's awful i I hate the fact that we live in this world because it causes things like you know a lot more male suicides yeah which uh, you know bring it back again to to the fundraising that we're doing um i I'm, that's why i'm so proud to be a part of it because like it, it's um 70% of suicides in the uk are, are male and like clearly this speaks to like a much bigger social problem uh if if men in general terms feel that they're not able to address the things that make them scared or the things that make them sad or the things that that make them mm-hmm. feel vulnerable uh, and I, I also just want to qualify this like i i have looked into toxic masculinity as a concept quite a bit and i just want to make sure it's clear that masculinity in itself is fine there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with like being really uh, muscly and being really proud of that and being um you know really into sports and all of those stereotypes same thing that there's nothing wrong with femininity and liking i don't know flowers and (laughs) whatever pink things dresses like that's all fine in itself when masculinity becomes toxic is if it if living up to those stereotypes or conforming to those social norms does harm to either the man themselves by feeling that they can't speak up about how they feel or to other people. Uh, yeah. Like um, the example would be something like uh, assault of domestic violence towards women, something where that's the way that dominance and masculinity is asserted is through doing harm to others. So it could be harm to themselves, harm to others or harm in society in general, but like masculinity in itself is fine. It's just when performing the, the the social norms of that gender become harmful is when it's toxic i just wanted to be really clear about that because i feel like there's a narrative that when we talk about this it's man-hating and i just want to be 100 oh, no. percent clear that that is absolutely not what i'm doing <laughs> so- no it should never become a blueprint like it, masculinity is fine if you want to be masculine if you want to be feminine if you want to be either if you don't want to be any of those things it's yeah, absolutely fine if you want fine. to go fuck gender and you know just completely like uh reject all of those mm. norms and i think you know in terms of being feminists you know we do reject a lot of those norms of what women are supposed to be <laughs> um, but also but- what men are supposed to be exactly. as well like, i think exactly. when we say that we fight gender stereotypes we don't just fight like female gender stereotypes we fight all of them like i yeah. don't the binary it, of gender stereotypes of saying women should perform femininity in this way in society by being pretty by by uh looking attractive by um you know being making concessions for other people and being submissive and men should be yeah dominant aggressive leaders that kind of stuff i think that mm-hmm. we can reject all of that and just say no people can just all be human and it doesn't matter and you don't even have to define yourself whether you're male or female you don't even have to say how you identify because it honestly doesn't matter you're a human being that's it <laughs> yeah yeah well awesome if everyone else just uh could do that <laughs> we probably fix loads <laughs> of the world's problems thanks guys <laughs> sort it out there we go job done <laughs> so after that should we swoop into science section let's and talk do about it. why we feel all this shit yeah i'm i'm really excited to learn about this because i mean i think from what we've talked about so far i can definitely see that a lot of these fears are kind of they can be explained through evolutionary psychology so i'm just really interested um you go for it but yeah i'm i'm, I'm super keen for this <laughs> 
All right, so I'll try not to let you down. I did some research. I think I understand it. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll dive into it. So a stressful situation, whether it's environmental or like a looming work deadline, this can obviously cause the stress hormones or as we were saying, public speaking. Mm. These stress hormones can, can flood us and that sort of produces these physical changes within us. And, you know, that's when you'll have your uh, heart pounding or your breathing quicken like when I couldn't breathe when I was doing a presentation you know your muscles tense and you start to sweat and you feel all this sort of physical things it's all due to um effectively uh, our fight or flight response which a lot of people will know about it's you know you'll see it with like deer in headlights where so you're like you're driving the, the deer will either run or it'll try and fight mm. um obviously hopefully a deer won't try and fight a car but it's the same thing if you were to to come across a wild animal it'll either run away from you or it will try and fight you depending on what it thinks is the best thing in that situation and so mm. we have you know we have a similar thing where in, in a stressful situation you you get all these endorphins all these hormones into you to, to be able to deal with that situation as it happens and so all these hormonal changes and physical responses is effectively what we're now calling fear and stress and anxiety right. so unfortunately the body can often overreact to these stresses if they're even if they're not life-threatening so you know public speaking work pressure family difficulties so it's the same fear that you would get in a if you were to come across a bear as you would if you were public speaking your body is being flood with all of these things that think it will help it in that moment so mm. now we kind of unless you were timothy treadwell yeah so now mm. that we've kind of covered <laughs> what it is that kind of happens in that in that stressful moment we can look back at sort of why it evolved because fear is a weird thing you think well why is that beneficial but the thing is if we didn't feel fear we would be surviving like we'd be dead like if you're yeah that makes sense if your ancestors back in the cave james's time didn't feel fear you definitely wouldn't be here so you know fear is what stops us from walking onto traffic stepping off rooftops like handling loads of fucking snakes and Mm -hmm. you know swimming through fire exactly (laughs) and so the fact that your ancestors felt fear would mean that they were more likely to survive because they weren't doing all of those crazy things so because they've passed Mm. their genes on the genes which contain things to be able to respond to fear you know you're here and that's created a beneficial you know child offspring that can also feel fear oh i like the idea of being a beneficial child (laughs) (laughs) yeah you've well you've survived i mean you're in a world where you don't need to be fighting lions and bears but you know i'm sure that you probably mm. still have those fear receptors from from your ancestors but the problem nowadays because obviously back then we would have been fighting bears and running away from big animals and right predators yeah. and stuff. but now we don't have that and it's an outdated instinct it serves the same purpose as if we were to run into a big bear if we were like yeah. carrying water from a river somewhere However, now you're just walking down the street, probably carrying a purse or like a wallet or something, a money bag down the city street. So it's it's a different circumstance, but it's still the same stimuli that you're going to be feeling. But nowadays it will very much be like, don't walk down that dark alley as opposed to don't walk near that bear. Yeah. Right, because to, to to us, and especially us as women, the the you know the potential of there being like a huge jack dude down there who's like a mugger or a rapist or something—that's the bear. He's now the bear. Pretty much. <laughs> and if you didn't have those yeah. fear receptors, you just walk up right up to that guy and be like, "Hello, how are you doing, sir?" And then he probably would have murdered you by that point. 
not saying he it could be she as well we're not gonna we're not into gender stereotypes here it could be a lady that's gonna you know do your do your harm but either way we're not facing the same things that we would have done a long time ago and that's sort of brings me to a really interesting point which is in that time thousands of years ago we lived in an immediate return environment which basically to explain that is say we were out we were out hunting hunting animals to Mm -hmm. eat as we do and there was a storm we would seek cover from the storm and all anxiety felt is instantly relieved so that's an immediate return so we've gone shit there's a storm let's get safe like they're anxious let's get into the it's the shelf safe shelter find shelter we're good yeah immediate return but now our issues that we face are defined as delayed return environment things like being in a relationship that you're a bit worried about not getting a promotion at work worrying about money can i pay the rent this month you can't get the immediate return that you used to be able to get back in the day you can't just run into a shelter or go get some berries if you're a bit hungry and go oh immediate return you know we we have this kind of delayed return environment which is how anxiety and stress develop because we're not meant to be stressed for that long you know yeah we're not meant to feel that fight or flight that those stress hormones for this prolonged period of time and i think that's why anxiety and all of this other stuff is so prevalent these days is because we're not able to live like we were back then but we're still the same humans it's just it's it's so it's so interesting actually i'd really recommend reading up on it um it's it's something i find actually really fascinating yeah i'm i'm really interested in this actually um what what strikes me is that we live at a time in very much the digital age the information age where we have instant gratification or so we're told from you know the number of likes that you get you know the number of dms that you get the number of retweets whatever this very very hollow really meaningless kind of instant gratification if you know you post a selfie well I don't I never post selfies I hate them but um, (laughs) you post a selfie for example you might do that and then you know you get a bunch of likes and it makes you feel good you get like the the instant return that you supposedly get from that is people like me they like what I'm doing they like how I look and that feels nice I'm accepted but actually for meeting our deeper needs as human beings um we do very much have this delayed return and and you're completely right uh with things like working you know finding a job even um or let alone getting promotions like it's tough times right now economically and in the job market and stuff and so i think a lot of people are having this like you know looking for work for, for potentially months um before finding anything and what I'm also really interested in with this to to relate to what you were saying about you know if if we were out hunting and a storm hits uh something that I've seen through other media and and another podcast um which is uh the Matt Morgan podcast uh he has become really into bushcraft um he's he's a a comedy writer he was Russell Brand's writing partner for years and he's got his own podcast now he's getting really into like survivalist things um and bushcraft and like wild camping and the the reason that he talks about it is that he he says it's really good for male mental health because your needs become immediate and you can you can meet those needs straight away by actually just learning a little bit about uh what's edible where to find food sources where to find water sources how to build your own fire and so you feel capable uh you know that you can meet your needs and you know provide and so the 
you know that just gets rid of all the other anxieties almost it's like all of those are gone you're not thinking about instagram you're not thinking about your job you're not thinking about that promotion all you know is i need to find water. you just need to, yeah okay, it's that I have need to water. survive which yeah. can be achieved if you, you know you're living in the world things like you know worrying about money or worrying about how many likes you get on instagram is never going to be fulfilled fully like you're always going to be worried whereas if you're living in a survival environment you're not going to get as much worry because surviving you know as long as you've got food water warmth shelter you've nailed that Mm. and so yeah I I completely agree it's like we have all of these things nowadays in in our world that we can't get immediate return from and I think that's why it sort of leads to this chronic stress so yeah I, I think that is quite a nice a nice idea and things to do and I think you know I, I did a lot of traveling where I had to kind of go back to basics and live kind of in the wilderness and it was actually quite nice I mean it was a little bit stressful it was a lot of bugs but generally I, it, it's sure. quite good it's quite good for the mind for, for any gender or, or no gender or anything like that it, it's quite a nice thing to go back to basics even just go camping not now it's a bit cold yeah. but camping is nice all right when it gets back to spring uh, we'll go camping again. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's it's such a fascinating subject. I, I absolutely love, as you all know, looking into why things have evolved and why why we feel things. And and there's way more yeah. to this topic that I'm that I'm going to go into. But I think just sort of going to the basics of why and the difference now and why we we feel fear differently and and in some ways Definitely. the same. But yeah, that that concludes science section. I'd say. That's amazing. And yeah, I mean, I, you didn't let, let it down. I knew you wouldn't. Um, I love science section and learning about this sort of stuff. It's genuinely so fascinating. And I think that it's it's potentially really, um, I don't know, I, I don't want to say necessarily like damaging or harmful, but potentially at least more stressful for people, you know, moving everything, like I said before, into this online thing where you're constantly just having to present and perform, you know, your role online on a screen um, with everybody else just looking at you, feeling like they're judging you all the time. Uh, and it's so much harder to get away from that because, you know, due to the, the situation and the pandemic, that that's all we have now. And, and with so many of our communities and our social interactions moving online um yeah I I I just wonder what the what the long-term effects of that will be almost it depends how long this goes on for of course but uh you know um maybe that's something that we should look into like you know wilderness retreats and just going out even if it's just on your own or with one or two other people you could still socially distance Mm -hmm. that just to go out and and have that experience of being somewhere remote and you know doing survival for a little bit with the proper tools and maybe an instructor (laughs) i don't think i could do it on my own let's be clear i'm not advocating we're not saying go out on your own and go live in the wild unless you're capable unless you're bear grills (laughs) if you know if you know your shit fine go for it nothing's stopping you but certainly for me I would need to take some sort of uh, maybe course or something find out what um what things I can eat what things what will, berries will not me. to eat um, don't eat don't eat the wrong berries exactly I know we have bad berries we don't have like awful bad dangerous insects and stuff really in this country but like just berries some berries <laughs> might give you the kill shits, you. basically <laughs> yeah yeah oh, I, I do amazing. worry I think I do worry socially for our society because i do believe Mm. that 
we are getting more strained from each other and speaking to someone over the over like skype even just seeing their faces is not the same as having actual human interaction and mm. i i do worry for the long-term effects of it i i just worry that people are going to become quite disconnected but we can just hope that yeah. this all gets a little bit better soon yeah we can hope and and you know then also for for my ma it's in digital media so if i find out like bad stuff and how to fix it then i'll just tell you all and then so we'll be fine good <laughs> and we'll be able to sort it before it becomes a problem <laughs> <laughs> okay should we head on over to creative corner sure thing yeah pop on in the water's fine um <laughs> so for creative corner i kind of was thinking about fear uh in general and one thing that i i kind of found um at uni uh because i went to an arts uni and there was a gallery on site and there was always different exhibitions and stuff in there and i remember going in there with with a few people from my course and uh it's kind of turning away from from a particular piece of work because i was like something about this is just giving me a really uneasy feeling and i don't really want to you know like look at look at this it's just not giving me the, the the nicest reaction to whatever this piece of art was uh and one of the guys i was with was like well yeah sometimes that's the point um so art doesn't always have to be aesthetically pleasing sometimes the point of it in the artist's mind even is is uh to disturb or unsettle you in some way um which is really interesting because <laughs> for me like creativity and, and art and stuff is something that uplifts me or inspires me or um fills me with with like joy for the most part even if that is i mean in narratives there's always kind of high points and low points points where the characters go through awful stuff and like you cry because of what's happening and then other times like where there's resolution at the end of the book where you feel happy like it's a journey but ultimately that feeling that i'm like most often left with that i seek out when i'm choosing a book or a film or you know a, a piece of art or something would be that i i want to feel uplifted and comforted so i this may just go back to me being a complete wuss <laughs> like i said before um but yeah i guess like so yeah sometimes art exists to make you ask ask questions or to make you have certain um what we would perceive as negative response um but like i guess yeah to be thought provoking or to be just provocative in general um but i guess that's just up to the audience and up to us all individually because it's so subjective of course of course yeah i wanted to bring up i don't know if this is something that you go you go into a little bit but um especially thinking about like the creative side of things and things like books and films in regards to fear um i did a little bit of research and and sort of looked into why we like to be scared i know you don't like to be scared yeah, I, I didn't look into this because, um, I, I mean, I could I could have and I, it occurred to me, but it's, I, I probably should have done actually, because to be honest, it's not something that I really comprehend. And I know I explained why and like my brain's not my friend and I, I get really vivid nightmares <laughs> about everything that scares me. So the idea of we enjoy being scared uh feels really strange to me but if you've got any research on that i actually would be really interested i don't know yeah, um, i don't have loads of research it's more just something that i touched upon and just noticed and thought yeah that is interesting so i i guess we're kind of opposites in this regard because 
I feel fear and I get freaked out by stuff and I say things like I fear ghosts but I would love to, I love going to the cinema to watch a horror movie you know I love listening to scary podcasts like Emma and Dan's Real Love Ghost mm. Stories podcast I like reading scary books and playing scary games the, the game that I play for the charity stream looks absolutely terrifying I love it yeah and I think that is the reason though is because we like to be scared sometimes some of us and it's because our body releases dopamine when we're scared which basically creates almost a state of they call it a state of arousal similar to when we're excited and it's stimulation yeah and apparently it can cause sexual arousal sometimes i mean that's a bit weird but i guess it's the same kind of hormone that it releases but it's why people like roller coasters i mean do you enjoy roller coasters yeah i do 100 so that will be the same thing so what you're getting from that is what i would get from from playing an absolutely terrifying so game like adrenaline yes and, and the thing right. is you know our bodies know that we're safe i think that's the main differing factor in when you're reading a book or you're watching a movie you feel that fear but you're safe and your body is aware of that if you were feeling that fear and your body wasn't safe you would be feeling a lot of other different things and so it's it's i guess it's a rush isn't it it's just it's that rush of 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 fear it, it gives us something exciting i guess I, th- I think what's what's perhaps my problem then when it comes to experiencing that horror is that I think that whether it's empathy or imagination, I'm not too sure, but I think that I identify too much with whatever's happening, that it becomes vicarious. So it feels like it's happening to me. And then that question over my safety, like that, or that comfort that, that I know I'm safe is gone because all that exists is that moment and the terror that the person, the character, whoever is feeling. And then that, that becomes vicarious to me, if you know what I mean. So I, I, I never, I almost, I, I think that it would explain why I don't seek out horror and why I don't enjoy being scared because I can't, I almost don't have that distance and that's yeah. something that I should probably work on. <laughs> so what I was just, what, yeah, what I sort of found explains it a little bit. It's something to do with the part of the brain that considers it too real. And right. so apparently some may love scary experiences, some may not, but those scary experiences still may differ between the two. So someone who may enjoy Freddy Krueger movies but be too terrified by The Exorcist may feel like it's too real and the fear response is not modulated by the cortical brain, apparently. So it's all to do with the part of your brain that deems it an actual threat or too real or too much for you. And so there are some things that maybe I couldn't cope with. Like there are some books or films that go on to a a form of horror that I can't deal with but there are some things that are absolutely fine and I think it's also Mm -hmm. it's probably to do with the whole safety thing of how safe you feel and how real you deem deem the threat to how much you would actually enjoy it because obviously you can cope with it and you could deal with it but would you actually enjoy that probably not but no so it's it's finding that (laughs) balance I think and everyone is going to be completely unique in it like yeah you know having like being a fan of horror movies but then having a, a really bad fear of like clowns or dolls would tip you over the edge and be like fuck no i'm out so yeah mm. everyone is going to be totally unique in that regard but i guess i guess that explains it i guess yeah yeah definitely that's so interesting well at least i understand like what my problem is it's just my brain not being able to release a certain like chemical that tells me that i'm safe well it's two two parts of your brain almost it's the one part that's perceiving it and the other part that is responding to it and if the part that's perceiving it isn't kind of in line you're gonna you're not gonna feel excitement you're just gonna feel fucking freaked out by it 
so when I say that my brain's not my friend, I'm kind of right. <laughs> yes, you're right. That is correct. Yeah. Gotcha. That that really actually helps. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I kind of assumed it was something along those lines, but it's really nice to know specifically that, uh, yeah, actually there there is a reason, uh, a, a chemical, um, you know, brain reason. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I probably should have said neurological rather than a brain reason, but hey, (laughs) it's fine. It's part of social anxiety and saying the wrong thing. We all do it. Um, so yeah, I, I think, um, for for fear in in art yeah obviously it it definitely has its place um I don't know how kind of widespread this is it was was a bit of a trend a few years ago but these like very postmodern European art house horror films that didn't even have a narrative they would just be like discordant uh you know sounds and images uh with no narrative whatsoever um just you know shocking images over and over and over because there's this like this postmodern approach that says that even the idea of having a story having a narrative uh means that you can never have true horror because as audiences we know that uh ultimately there will be resolution you know we have the the beginning we have the first act uh where everything's established we have the second act where everything basically happens and there's this huge ramp up of tension and then a climactic moment right at the end of act two and then finally we have act three at the end of the movie which is going to be you know probably quite short few scenes just to resolve what's happened and that gives us comfort so even when all the bad stuff's happening and you're right in the thick of it in the middle of the movie you know well hey it's okay because I know this will be resolved in the end and something will happen even if the ending's really tragic and everybody dies it'll be over it'll be done um but even the idea of that structure um and having a narrative can um for some filmmakers and and visual artists uh they they won't want to use any kind of narratives or visual narratives even um just to really tap into exactly what what our like truest fear responses would be that's not something i can deal with but it's out there for people who are interested (laughs) so but for like for narrative stuff which is which is more my cup of tea um I think horror and thriller narratives, this this is the other place for me where they can relate to gender more because uh, huge tropes of horror and thriller narratives um, can often mean violence towards women, Um, but not only violence towards women, but how women are depicted. So there are three like roles uh, in horror movies in particular that, um, that female characters are quite often given. So um, there's the final girl, which I'll talk about in a minute, Um, the blonde victim. Mm. Um, So for example, like Psycho is the perfect example of that. And then the femme fatale, um, like the the evil woman who, you know, orchestrates or enacts the bad stuff in some way. Um, But the final girl is um, the first character to sense something amiss and the only one whose perspective approaches our own privileged understanding as an audience um, of what the situation is. So she's the one that has some kind of insight. Um, she's always female. Protagonist Usually, or not? Quite, yeah, could be could yeah. be a protagonist. Yeah, could be a protagonist, could be a, like an ensemble mm-hmm. um, character. Um, always female, usually a virgin. Um, and according to uh, Carol J. Clover, who first identified this trope in 1992, the final girl is the lone survivor of the kind of slasher villain movie. Um, and she basically describes this trope as an agreed upon fiction for male viewers use of her as a vehicle for their own sadomasochistic fantasies. 
So um, I, I, there's a lot to unpick there, <laughs> quite obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's this idea that um, like it, somehow male viewers or male audiences will will kind of vicariously live out their sadomasochistic fantasies through her of being tortured, um, but then surviving, being virginal, but what being sexually attractive. I'm not clear on why she has to be a virgin. I, I I wonder if it comes into this this other trope that we see in horror quite a lot, which is like the corruption of innocence. Oh yeah, probably. Oh, um, yeah. this is dark. It, yeah, it gets really dark. Um, but I think in more general terms, um, one like uh, analysis that I saw, uh, which um, said if a woman is reduced to a sexual object prior to having violence inflicted upon her, it will be easier for an audience to not empathize with her if she's assaulted during the, the course of that or if, or if she has, you know, any violence done to her um, upon like after yeah. that point. God, that is um, so true. I never thought of it like create- that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a bit, um, yeah, it's a bit disconcerting. Um, but yeah, this this analysis basically just went on to say creating empathy is a key component to avoiding objectification and something that that is fundamentally missing from much of the horror genre. Um, and I, I, empathy is a weird thing with horror in general because I think that too much of it, and you'll be like scared and upset by everything, not enough of it, and it just becomes like dehumanizing um so it's a really it's a really strange one but it's like the the more i looked into this the more i realized that horror as a genre is is very like um sensitive territory yeah, <laughs> in it's, terms it's of like of, how you present say, narratives and characters it's full of tropes as well because like i always knew mm. about like the sort of female trope in horror movies but there's also a lot of racial tropes as well. Um, you know, it's getting mm-hmm. better these days, but it did always seem that, you know, someone of colour or a female would always die first. And yeah. um, a great example of where like a movie has sort of has challenged that, and, and it's a great movie, actually, I recommend it, is is Get Out, um, which was Jordan Jordan Peele's movie. Is mm. It's fantastic. And uh, But yeah, back in the day, like there was, I think, big problems with that kind of thing. And um, and I'm glad that horror movies have, have come quite far since then. Yes, definitely. I mean, you look at, at things like um, like for, for, like let's say Hitchcock, um, very much like an originator as a filmmaker of like many of the tropes in the genre today, mm. and he's been massively criticised for his portrayal of women um, as being lying and treacherous and weak, uh, who all just get ultimately punished horrifically <laughs> for their behaviour, um, which is more in the kind of femme fatale thing. Um, and also, you've got like a massive historic villainization of um, trans people as well, yes. which is still really current too. So, uh, like Norman Bates, cross-dressing in Psycho, oh, yeah, um, yeah. Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, um, and then J.K. Rowling's new book, Troubled Blood, which is about, um, I, I described the character as like a cis male, but he dresses up as a female to kill women um, and talks about like the character from what I've seen. I haven't read it and I'm not going to. I don't want to buy it. I don't want to We are talking about J.K. Rowling this. around me. I'm not surprised that this is no, terrible yeah, I, I, book. She 
seems to just be kind of digging herself a hole and everybody is is kind of like at least on my twitter everybody is kind of explaining and and drawing attention to like why these narratives are harmful and how they need to change and it's just not seeming to like stop the floodgates enough um but yeah I i think uh what's good at least is that culturally we have an awareness of how things will change even if it's not happening on a mass scale yet the awareness will keep leading to change because as audiences we're becoming far more discerning about what we want to expose ourselves to and what tropes we find acceptable or not Uh, and that will have a direct impact on what is put out there for us to consume Uh, so as much as you know um films books uh you know um art uh, any kind of creative media as much as that can all influence us we by what we consume or don't consume can influence it right back it's a continuous like feedback loop that works both ways so uh at least having the awareness as consumers um that is the best possible thing and then being being discerning about what we consume because we're aware of these tropes and, and that they can be harmful um that that's the best position that we can probably hope to be in is <laughs> um, as uh, as simple as it might sound um it will ultimately have an impact um so yeah i think um there's only a couple other things that i was gonna um talk about in terms of female like horror mm-hmm. stereotypes um and it was just that um because I, I was thinking about carrie and i really enjoyed carrie I thought she's she's really cool. I like her as a character. Um, the, the kind of her like vengeance that she takes across people feels really justified. And I'm like, yeah, you fucking kill them, girl. Like, go for it. They're <laughs> assholes. You do this. Like, tear them down. Um, but actually, <laughs> that's probably just my like very primal response. <laughs> um, there was a really good analysis actually um, that I came across by Shelley Stamp, who's a film professor at UC Santa Cruz, uh, who says that femininity, female sexuality, and the female body are often Uh, presented as monstrous Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, women such as ourselves aren't interested in watching um, and thinking about these kinds of issues uh, because what horror as a genre can do is is bring these issues into the foreground that might otherwise kind of not be addressed or not be spoken about Um, but ultimately like Carrie as a film or or a narrative because obviously it was a book first uh, but the the narrative is there to show what will happen when female power can't be constrained by by patriarchal structures like religion or like school or authority or um what whatever kind of institutions um that obviously the character was Mm. kind of raised in and lived in 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 terms of those environments um and so that that power being unleashed is uh ultimately what what causes all this destruction um so and i'd never thought about it that way before but yeah that was a really interesting analysis um that and again it's obviously up to people if they agree or disagree it's so subjective when it comes to art it's always where i end up with creative corner no matter what i talk about i'm like yeah this is a thing but i don't know it's up to you <laughs> yeah i i feel like no i'm i don't i'm not an expert on this subject but i often feel like there's not many in-betweens i often feel mm. like the woman is sort of the war the woman has sort of become a monster and sort of gotten out of control or she's weak and being murdered or in some way or ways they're getting murdered or, or tortured or something i often find that mm. there's there's rarely a middle ground and i do think that you know as i said i think it is getting better the tropes are becoming less 
like solidified because back then it was mm. very much like women murdered tortured etc or victimized yeah chased raped yeah sexualized yeah. whatever I mean, yeah. we, you know we, we get more as, as time has gone on we've, we've got sort of got more female protagonists that aren't either of those two things but it's really interesting because it's just got me thinking about like horror movies and stuff and just thinking back to to these tropes and, and thinking where do they fit in and is there any that aren't fitting in exactly and it's a, yeah it's a really interesting topic and I'm really glad we've done we've done this fear and fear and yeah failures. yeah same I think like ultimately like horror as a genre whether it's uh, films books whatever um but it's there to kind of reflect our real fears back at us and of course like from whatever culture you're in if you're watching the or reading the cultural artifacts that are horror they're going to be embedded in your your cultural norms mm -hmm. and for us you know yeah that could be toxic masculinity that could be female victimization um but that's not always a bad thing um what what we should should and hopefully are doing as audiences is just questioning like well what's the result of this um and in this narrative did it normalize this kind of stuff or did it um provide a new um approach maybe um so yeah I, I, there's there's so much to it uh and, and there's so much that that yeah the tropes can kind of uphold these cultural expectations but i think that looking for things that yeah maybe do things a different way or maybe don't conform to like the same kind of tropes or or um like gender binaries that that will be a really interesting territory for horror to go into so hopefully we see that in the future yeah we will see are you are you a big horror movie fan that's something that i didn't actually ask i know obviously we're talking about them but i and i know you don't always like to be scared but i wasn't sure if you are happy to watch some of them um so i watched the Qu a quiet place yeah that was fine i was okay with that um i think that might be it recently <laughs> yeah, <okay>. well <laughs> what i've watched going back to um my my quick mention of jordan pill i really recommend watching get out and us okay us is the one that was released in 2019 which i've, I've heard of both of these but the, even the trailers terrified well, they're, me they're not too they're not too scary scary though like i say they're okay. quite gory i'd say that that us is really quite psychological and really right. interesting i think you can kind of get away with watching it but i think out of like sort of horror movies i mean i've watched a, f a few within recent times but those ones really stick out as, as challenging those tropes and, and challenging what we think of of horror movies and how they kind of play out so anyone listening obviously i definitely recommend checking them out and you leah too you'll be fine make sure okay, you just um... remember it's just your brain getting confused with what's too real I'll write, I'll write down a mantra on a piece of paper that says it's not real. And as long as I have a really big cushion so I, I can hide behind it. <laughs> because everybody knows that the best things to hide behind are cushions for if you're watching something scary and uh, blankets and duvets for if there's a monster in your room. Those those soft furnishings are impenetrable shields yeah. when it comes to horror. <laughs> I used to hide behind the sofa when there was Daleks on the TV. Oh, I'm still really? freaked out by them. Oh, kid, do you know but... that makes sense even <laughs> I'm, I'm, i know doctor who's like a really old cultural artifact my dad was terrified of daleks he did the exact same thing when he was a kid hid behind the sofa when they came on because he was so scared of them yeah that's so funny that like you know now two generations <laughs> our parents <laughs> generation and ours with my dad and you respectively i would like to say um, that i was watching the old doctor who and not the new one because when the new ones came out i was probably like 15 uh so it was the old ones yeah, well, I guess you would have been the same age watching all that original stuff. 
um, that that my dad was when he, he was a kid and it was really <laughs> oh, coming sorry. out. Oh, sorry, I thought you were saying that I was as old as your dad. I was like, no, Leah, we, we, we and I were not the same age at the same time. At the time, as the same age at the time you were watching it. I don't mean that you were born in the, like, the 60s or oh, something. Oh, good, good, because I know I, I may look a bit older recently through stress, but... I'm still no, not I'm at still all. Youngish. Not at all. Um, I, I think I'm older than you, so if anything, like this will all be <laughs> turned back round on True. me. <laughs> I'll go do a face mask after this, so I look all sprightly <laughs> for the uh, 24-hour stream, which will only add more crow's feet to the increasing situation of my face. That's fine. So, should we sort of summarise the episode? And yeah, of... let's think about this. Yeah. So, what are we t- what are we taking away from? from this discussion i would say that for what i would summarize especially with my science section is that fear is totally normal it's something that we are born with it comes down from generations to generations generations from back when we lived in in the olden times and feeling anxiety and feeling stress and feeling fear Mm. is absolutely normal it's just we're living in a different world than we used to be but these things are still needed to protect us from dangers of the street you know scary things but it's just sometimes our brains don't quite understand that we're not in danger all the time and it's okay to feel fit whether you're male female not identifying non-binary etc fear is totally normal and it's good to talk about it in any aspect whether you're just afraid of spiders whether you have a really bad fear of eels it's okay to talk about it if it gives you anxiety (laughs) just talk to someone yeah, I I don't think I can sum it up much better than that. Um, that's that's one hundred percent what I'm taking away as well. Um, the the only thing I think that I would add to that is that some of the things that you talked about in terms of science section and like how we perceive fears and how we like our brains manage our fear responses uh is that actually for the fears that that we have that we think we can't do anything about like for example public speaking Mm -hmm. when it when it comes to 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 us both (laughs) um actually is kind of you know it opens up some potential new strategies for like managing those fears. And, you know, um, I, I know one thing that I, I do find really helpful is affirmations, basically mantras, things like that. Um, just like if I'm doing something, but it's stressful, but I just have like written somewhere on the corner of my page or even on my hand, like which I've done in interviews before, um, just to make sure that like um, the, the mantra or affirmation, whatever I write is like helping me in that moment. Um, but like you said, also talking about it, Mm-hmm. recognizing that it's not a bad thing it doesn't make you you know um like an idiot or so stupid no. or anything like that it's, that it's a normal, normal human to, thing to feel like that in those sort of situations it's just your body yeah. trying to help you and sometimes it's obviously not helping mm. and sometimes that's that's even a conversation that we need to kind of have with our own in, in a narrative i know my, my dad it's a slightly different thing but uh my dad recommended this book uh to me called the chimp paradox yes, which i'm sure some of book. you will have heard of uh and it's basically saying that there's this like chimp this primal um you know animal inside of you who uh is the one that gives you these really strong emotional responses like fear like aggression um or you know whatever it may be and that actually we can consciously in that moment almost strike up in an inner conversation mentally and say okay i understand that that's what you're offering me you're offering me stress you're offering me fear you're offering me aggression i don't need that right now mm-hmm. but thank you because you you identified that this was a real problem and and thank you for recognizing it but what i'm going to choose to do yes. is respond instead in this way 
and that's actually through almost almost um seems like a kind of uh, cbt thing you know by controlling our, our thoughts and our behaviors acknowledging our thoughts but but interrupting the process before we yeah. automatically understanding um, why have it's a behavioral response and then yeah. behaving appropriately yeah wow we just went really intellectual right at the end here <laughs> of like actually yeah hmm, therapy this could really help <laughs> sorry everyone <laughs> That, maybe that will help somebody the chimp paradox yeah. if anybody's interested it, it could help you never know check it out <laughs> but I think it's worth adding actually just to kind of like put on the end of this to the, the charity stream is happening today but you can donate up until I think the end of October and if I remember correctly the link to go donate because it's Calm which is a campaign against living miserably which is um, a campaign against suicide, obviously, and particularly male suicide as well, which we discussed in this episode. So it's justgiving.com forward slash 31 games of terror. And you can donate up until the end of October and it's for a great cause. So check it out. All right. I think we have covered everything we could have possibly covered. I think so. Yeah, this has been so interesting, though. And I really appreciate um, everything that, that you said and all the science stuff. That is my key takeaway so yeah you too yeah i'm gonna look at horror movies differently now i'm gonna be able to identify tropes and stereotypical gender roles and things <laughs> and i'm gonna try and interrupt my thought patterns so that i don't poop my pants in a couple of hours when i start streaming well use that for this evening charity exactly stream. yes cool alrighty. well thank you all so much for listening um and yeah we appreciate you all as ever if you want to get in touch with us um you can do so we have our, our email address which is not for girls podcast at gmail.com you can also visit us on twitter and instagram you can always drop us a message there or just give us a follow that would be lovely and we are at not for girls pod oh did i not say that <laughs> no <laughs> Oh, fuck so. That's all right. Okay. You can also rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else. Leave us a review. We'd really love it. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, enjoy Halloween, everybody. And we will see you next time, which actually will be just before Halloween. <laughs> yes, we'll probably get a little bit more spooky. <gasps> It'll be fine. And get scared. <laughs> yeah. But we would, we've, we've been able to assess our fears now, so we'll be fine. Hopefully. We will be. Thank you for listening, everybody. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.